Hi, welcome to the Set Python Girls Club podcast. I'm your host, Luciana. And I'm your co-host, Kimadalyn. Let's get going. Hello, and welcome to our new episode of the Set Python Girls Club podcast. I am here with Kimadalyn. Hello, how's it going? Hi, Luciana. I'm good. Thank you. I could do with a few degrees less. It's been too hot. But other than that, I'm fine. How are you? I couldn't agree more with that. But I'm excited today because we have a special guest with us, uh, Sajin. Sajin, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me, both of you. Uh, my name is Sujin. I am a product manager on the Python AI team at Microsoft. Um, I develop data science experiences in and around VS Code. That is awesome. It's great to have you here because I think up to now, we've only been interviewing engineers. So it's great to have a PM just like myself here as a guest. Um, so you do work a lot on the Jupyter extension for VS Code, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you want to share with us a little bit of the few projects that you have been working on or you're going to work on and that you find exciting and that folks would be happy to hear about? Yeah, sure. So uh, in terms of what we've been working on recently, we there's lots of stuff that we work on, right? But one of the things that stands out to me is us uh, working on improving the remote Jupyter server connections. Um, and so many of the data scientists who work with Jupyter Notebooks, they often have to connect to remote uh, Jupyter servers for their work, uh, but that that experience has been kind of eh, at best, <laughs> and we worked a lot to improve that experience in users connecting to remote servers, but also switching context between remote and local servers. So uh, we're currently working on that, and um, very excited about that. Uh, another thing that stands out, which might seem a little bit trivial, is copying image outputs. Uh, so it's been a feature request that's been long overdue. Uh, it seems probably very simple from a user's perspective, but it wasn't as simple for us to kind of figure it out and code it up. Um, And so I'm so excited that that is coming. Um, All you now have to do is when you have an image output, there's a button uh, right next to the save image button. Uh, There's a copy image button now, so you can copy and paste it to your colleagues as you're working with them um, instead of having to save it and then paste it into your email or, or chats or things like that. Um, and then you also mentioned, like, what am I excited about? Like, some of the things that we might be working on. Is that, is that what you asked about? Yeah, that's you. Okay. Yeah. One of the ongoing effort, which is a little bit bigger of an effort, is our notebook experiences in the browser. We hope to provide kind of a zero setup notebook experience for anybody, really, to use notebooks in the browser without having to install anything on their local machine. Um, so we're very excited about that. Um, so... Yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> I love that. Well, you mentioned three uh, that I find very exciting. So for the first one for remote servers, a very, I guess, beginner basic question. So when you're talking about remote servers they are running, uh, is it basically like a Jupyter server that is running in a virtual machine or in servers anywhere, and then people are trying to connect to VS Code to them? Yep, exactly. Yeah, they're using a uh, server that's living in some other machine or compute. Um, and they're using some kind of, you know, a URL to connect to that, uh, that remote server so that you can use their compute instead of your current local machine's compute. Yeah, so you, you got it exactly right. <laughs> so for that feature, could you explain a little bit how 
how you ended up, I guess it's not just you, but maybe there's an entire team behind it, how it ended up getting prioritized? Like what made the team decide that it was something that needed to be tackled? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest reasons was a lot of people were actually already using this feature. We know that many users who work in team settings do tend to use um, remote servers a lot, right? So it was just through telemetry and uh, serving users that we found out, okay, this is something that's heavily being used. Um, and then just trying it out ourselves, we found out it's just not a great of an experience. Um, and to match that up, right, we've been getting a lot of GitHub issues for people who have been saying this is buggy or I don't understand how this is working. I have a feature request, right? So just all of those combined together, uh, we thought it was the right time to kind of tackle that problem. That's awesome. The second feature that you talked about was the copy image uh, from the output. I am personally very looking forward to that one. <laughs> I think someone once told me like, oh, can you just copy and like paste on Word or just drag and drop and things like that? I think drag and drop still not possible, right? But at least copying is. Not yet. Yep. Yes, exactly. It's and funny that you said like it's not trivial. Uh, and yeah, I think like never occurred to me that we have save and that's fine, but copying is definitely not the same as save. So yeah, it's something that I personally thought it would be trivial, but you're right. It's more complex than one would imagine. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we, we hear this all the time. And maybe this is like a little message for data scientists out there. People who are developing this tool are not data scientists, they're developers. So we don't know how, you know, it, it's difficult for us to know from the get go, like what is trivial and what is not trivial. Um, and so for us, for the longest time, I think we've been thinking that oh, you can save an image and just send it. Like, it's not a hard workaround, right? But, you know, if you're doing that like 10 times for some analysis that you're doing with somebody else, like, yes, it does become, you know, three clicks become like 30 clicks. Um, yeah, it's definitely not trivial. It sounds trivial is what I meant, but it is not trivial. <laughs> for sure. And I feel like a lot of the stuff in software engineering is like that. And I don't know, as we are PMs, uh, that's why we have like a great group of engineers to tell us uh, that, hey, what you're asking is actually not that trivial. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've, I always find that being the challenge of being a PM because a lot of times like we have some cool requests from users and we want to prioritize that. You see that a lot of people are doing it and they're like, oh, we should do this. And then people are like, yeah, but you know, it will take like three years of work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so the third one that you were talking about is the browser experiences. Uh, there are a few new functionalities that are working now on the browser for Jupyter specifically, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, currently, the there's a few ways you can work with notebooks in the browser using our products. Um, one of the ways is using VS Code.dev or GitHub.dev. Um, it's the online VS Code tool. Uh, and you can just install the Python and the Jupyter extensions um, and, and also uh, the PyDive extension. Um, and from there, you can do probably a lot of the basic uh, data analysis tasks um, using Python. So, so that's one way to use it. Um, the other way to use it, which is probably not available for many folks as of now, um, hint, hint, but uh, as of now is code spaces. So if folks um, do have access to code spaces, uh, which is a service provided by GitHub, they can actually spin it up and have essentially like a virtual machine um, where you interact with it in a VS Code-like fashion. 
with some kind of compute backing it. Um, and so that's another way to uh, work with notebooks. And for that one, um, it's there's no limits. It's it's literally just like working on your local machine, um, except you're doing it on uh, on the browser. Someone asked me on Twitter, uh, why would one use Jupyter uh, notebooks in the browser with VS Code and not just Jupyter Lab, right? Or just Jupyter notebooks on the browser as people used to. Uh, and I thought it was an interesting question. I will tell you my answer, and you can say if that makes sense or not, as you are the PM sure. for Jupyter Notes. <laughs> I basically said that I personally, I really like using notebooks with VS Code, like on VS Code.dev or GitHub.dev, but also Codespaces. I think Codespaces is the ultimate, like the best experience, but um, basically because it gives me all the other power, the other functionality provided by VS Code. So if I still want to do Python files side by side, I can do that. If I want to use the git diff, uh, the diffing uh, capabilities in VS Code, I can do that. Uh, and some, so many other extensions, right? So that's why I personally like to use it on the browser. I don't know if you would have like a more complete answer to that or other reasons why people would use it inside VS Code rather than just Labs. Yeah, I think you answer that beautifully. Um, I mean, VS Code has already won the hearts and minds of many developers and a huge reason for that is how extensible it is and all the integrations that it has. Um, and so just to take advantage of that on top of, uh, on top of your data science workflow, which probably includes notebooks work, um, I think is, is probably the right, right thing or maybe, maybe the way that I would answer that question as well. So yeah, I think you answered that beautifully. <laughs> Thank you. Very kind of you to rate my answer so well. <laughs> uh, uh, Sujin, since you are a PM just like myself, I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit more, like, what do you think a PM job is? Uh, what do you think, like, is your role in your team? Oh my gosh. That's a tricky question. That is a very tricky question. But to boil it down, uh, PM is basically user's voice. Um, so figuring out what users need, what are their, you know, typical workflow look like? What is their, what are their, some of the jobs that needs to be done from on their work day to day? Um, and then what do they need? What do they want? What are their pain points? Bringing that to the development team, I feel like is like the biggest uh, impact that PM can have on the team. And on top of that, just having general knowledge of the market landscape, right? Understanding what users are like. Uh, liking and disliking in the industry, that kind of stuff. So I think that is how I view the PM role on a team. So you alluded to it a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. but like on the team, you said like there were there was a lack of data scientists since it was mostly engineers. Mm. So how do you make sure um, you gather enough, let's say like points of view and like gather enough feedback from users of the product and surface that feedback in a way that the engineers are going to understand it. Like, for example, the image saving part is mm-hmm. not trivial, but how, how do you convey to the team that it is indeed not as trivial as they think? Oh my gosh, now you're getting into like, how do you convince people? <laughs> um, this, yeah, for sure. I think this is something that's, that I am continuing to work on, right? So I don't know if I'll have like a really, really good answer, but I'll tell you what I, I do. Um, I try to bring hard data, and so uh, whether that be in the form of here are the number of people who said that this was a needed thing in the survey, or uh, I say 
look at how many people try to save an image. Um, but then, you know, this actually goes against people who I talk to at like different conferences and, and user interviews that I conduct. Um, they say they'd rather copy image, right? So things like that. I just try to bring a lot of these different evidence from probably different places um, and bring that in front of, in front of the, the dev team. Um, and the other thing I do uh, is I try to seed um, some of these ideas in their head from time to time, right? So it's not just like I gather all these evidence for like a month or two and then bring it in front of them. It's more like, hey, I'm looking into this, right? Like I kind of ease them into it so that when I say in the end, like, look, here's all the evidence, they're not surprised by it. It's more like, oh, yeah, you've been talking about that for a while. Now that you've gathered all of them for us and, and put that in front of us. I get it. I think we should work on it. Um, so I think that's kind of how, the way that I go about doing it. Not saying that's the right answer, but that's the way that's been working for me so far. I love that. It's more like day-to-day -day conversations uh, rather than making a case for them. You know, like, this is why we should do it. No, it's like, hey, I'm noticing this. I'm, re I'm hearing this. I'm seeing people do that. And then bringing them to the conversation around what's happening and also to come up with the ideas as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming up with the ideas, a lot of the time for me, I think the users do it themselves, <laughs> which is very convenient, right? And then the other thing is like, you can't, you're not the smartest person in the room. I'm, well, I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room. So when I come up with these like quote unquote solutions, for me, it's like, here is an option or here is one way that a solution could look like, but it's up for discussions, right? Like that's what teamwork's all about is like, Here's an idea just to kind of open up the discussion, but I would love your feedback and comments about it. So that's, I think that's the kind of the way that I like to work with folks. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's been working great because uh, the Jupyter extension is getting better and better every day. I mean, I'm actually a user as well, not just your co-PM. <laughs> I love doing like small data science projects and analytics for a lot of the things that we do day to day for work. I do use notebooks, so mm -hmm. I am a fan as well. Uh, and I can see how it's paying off all the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but I don't know. I personally find being a PM, it can be really hard. I don't know. You were saying like, oh, I'm not the smartest person in the room. Like, yeah, I never felt like the smartest person in the room. And a lot of times I do question like, well, that can sound hard. Not a lot of times, but sometimes <laughs> I do question like the value of like, the work that we do, uh, not we in general, myself personally, but being a PM, right? I'm like, okay, you know, all the engineers are doing this code, you're all doing these wonderful things, but like, and I'm just here like talking to them, like, what, what, what am I doing, right? I don't know, do you ever have that as well? Is this something normal across PMs? Is this something I should be working with myself because I'm nuts? <laughs> um, I was going to answer that as absolutely until you kind of rephrase the question, am I nuts? Uh, that question, the answer is no. Um, I think absolutely <laughs> in a sense that yes, I, I have that all the time. My opinion, I probably have those thoughts more than you and, and I don't know, but I feel like a lot of people think that way too, right? So I think this is actually a pretty common thing, both for PMs, but also for developers, right? I feel like this is such an unhealthy nature of the tech industry is to have this kind of an imposter syndrome, right? Um, and so I think it's very normal for you. And I, I'm trying to embrace the fact that it's normal for me, but it does bring me down uh, from time to time, for sure. That's a good point. It's imposter syndrome and it's everywhere. Uh, in the tech industry, I think like 
I guess like competition is getting harder and harder. So I think it's even easier mm-hmm. uh, for us to feel that way. But you're right. It's very common, unfortunately, right? Across different skill sets and roles. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that that feeling of being an imposter comes from? I know for me, it's like when I'm surrounded by people who seem like they know what they're talking about. And so I'm like, oh my God, they're so smart, right? And also like while while I'm like out of my comfort zone and then when I'm out of my comfort zone for too long or too much, then I start being like, what am I doing here, right? Where do you think this comes from you without going too far after all? Yeah, I mean, I think that you kind of hit it in the nails where when I feel like there's people around me that are smarter than me, I love it and I hate it at the same time because I get to learn from them. But at the same time, I feel so small, right? Like I, I keep mm-hmm. doubting myself and I keep feeling this this incompetence per se. <laughs> and what do you think would be helpful? Like, I guess not just you, but like maybe a general like mindset change in the tech industry. Like if we had a magic wand and be like, Yeah, what can we change in order to make people feel less like that? Yeah, I mean, there's ways that I cope with it, right? And I'll share those. Uh, one of them is having just awesome friends uh, and mentors who continue to just validate me and give me advice. And I'm also going to give a shout out to my husband who does that, who will probably listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> and then the other thing, I, I haven't done it myself, but I know therapy has helped many of my friends. Like I, I really want to, but I just cannot constantly commit to an hour of my time each week. Um, just the way, I don't know, all the other engagements that I have uh, with life in terms of my toddler. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I heard therapy has helped a lot. And then just keeping track of my achievements have helped a lot. And then also, I think I mentioned it earlier, right? Just embracing the fact that if you don't have an imposter syndrome, that means you're either overly confident or delusional, right? Which I think are far worse than having the imposter syndrome. So I think having an imposter syndrome is a sign that you're actually a good PM, developer, designer, researcher, whoever you might be. And it shows that you care, right? So I'm trying to 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 embrace it i know it's definitely easier said than done but that's kind of what's helping me and i i have my ups and downs <laughs> i really like the the point that you made about therapy as well i go through therapy constantly and yeah it, it really does help uh, i really like the point that you made on tracking achievements i think this is a very objective thing right because mm-hmm. then you can see the list and you can't really argue with data in fact mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a great tip as well Uh, one thing that I kept thinking, so and we all work together with Brett Cannon, right? Mm-hmm. And Brett is, I don't know, this really brilliant guy. He's in the Python steering council. And I realized that even though he's extremely smart, he never makes me feel dumb. And I rarely ever feel like an imposter there when I'm talking to him. And I was kind of thinking like, you know, I think it's because Brett's very humble around what he doesn't know. So I'm like, yeah, he's brilliant. He's extremely competent, but he doesn't know it all. And oftentimes I see people in the tech industry who are amazing and they are rock stars, but rarely ever they are honest about the things they don't know. And not because they're trying to hide or anything. It's just like around the nature. But one thing I would love to see is to see more people being upfront about the things that they don't know or the things that are not good, just to create the sense of uh, we're all humans. We don't know it all, even though it should be obvious. Uh, a lot of times, I don't know, some people just don't realize that from talking to everyone. Uh, so I don't know, this is one thing that I would love to see people doing more often, just being upfront about mm-hmm. their shortcomings as well, or the mm-hmm. parts that they don't have expertise. Uh, so 
yeah, that would be something I would love to see in the, not just tech industry, but around the world. Uh, like you said, if you're overly confident, that can hurt people around you who think they may be less or not, right? So anyway. Yeah, send the message out, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I but, love that. you know, that's it's kind of an interesting point that you make. And I would love to see that as well. But I, I know for me, it's like, this is another thing that's like easier said than done, right? Like, yeah. if you're especially if you're like newer to the tech industry, um, or just newer to any industry, uh, you know, of your career, like, it's just there, you almost feel like you have to both like catch up and learn new things. And it's like, it can get really overwhelming. Um, and then at that time, you're like, well, I don't want to show that I'm overwhelmed. Um, and so you keep coming back to this and you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't show that I'm overwhelmed or I'm like, you know, I, I don't know something. And so, yeah, it's definitely a good point that you make. And I would love to see a lot of people do this and this become, you know, the world's culture. But I also know how hard it can be. No, you're right. And also, I think like when I was saying that, I was thinking more about the experts and people who already have a big mm. reputation and people who you already look up to. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. I feel like it's much harder to be vulnerable when you're like, okay, everyone knows I don't know much because, you know, I'm, I just started this new mm -hmm. role or just started my career, right? But yeah, so that's a great point that you have just made. Uh, do you think there are other things that we can do to help folks who are struggling with it? Yeah, um... I know I mentioned a few of them earlier. Uh, the other thing is just supporting uh, others who are like us and also not like us as well, right? That's kind of helped me a lot in terms of my imposter syndrome as well. So there's two communities that I love supporting in terms of just helping with imposter syndrome, but also just for increasing diversity in the tech field as well. Um, so one of them is uh, folks entering the tech field from diverse backgrounds. So I come from a, probably a non-traditional background too. Uh, and so I, you know, I'm not one of those people who love to code since I was age five or, you know, things like that. I'm just, I, I learned about programming and coding in college and, and like that was my beginning. And so I, I just, I love supporting that community. Uh, so I teach one a class for lead program at Microsoft um, that develops people from diverse backgrounds. Um, and so I'm a guest speaker there for the PM program. Um, and I, I teach about PM tools and some of the tips and tricks there. Uh, the other one that I, I love to volunteer at is just supporting the women in tech industry. I try to do as much as I can there. And it's not just about like, you know, joining a community or anything like that there. For me, that one is more like, being supportive for the people around me, being supported, allowing myself to be supported, right? Um, so just uplifting and, and peer mentoring folks. Um, so that's that's been kind of helping me a lot with my own imposter syndrome. And also I'm hoping that it has helped people around me as well. So yeah, I think that's another, another route that you can kind of go about in terms of, you know, both dealing with imposter syndrome, but also doing good for the world. So you mentioned peer mentoring, so I assume you do also some mentoring for these like two communities. So what kind of questions do people usually come to you about? Yeah, um, so in terms of uh, the LEAP program, um, I'll, I'll take that for as an example. For that, it's more like people who just don't know a lot about the tech industry. So they ask questions that are more like, what is it like when you get to a team? How do you work with a team of developers or how do you have 
big impact um, on your product and on your team? So those are the kinds of questions, like more philosophical questions that they ask. And then for like, you know, the women, like friends and mentors, right? Like, I feel like I get mentored more than I, I mentor probably. And that one is really dependent on people who like, you know, just, it, it, I don't know, this is such a bad answer, but it really depends on their, their career stages. But yeah, just just being there for me, being the, me, being there for them. Um, I think that itself alone really helps a lot. Makes sense. So maybe maybe a trick question, uh, maybe something <laughs> you haven't prepared. But what do you think of the difference between a mentor and a sponsor? Because I often see that mm. it's easy to get a mentor. Like nowadays, there are mentoring initiatives. Like not everywhere, but it's somewhat easy to find a mentor. Not saying it's super easy, but it's possible. But yeah. finding a sponsor, that's a little bit trickier. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wouldn't know how to find a good sponsor either if you were to tell me right now. But the difference that I see between mentor and sponsor is that sponsors have the ability to, to really stick their neck out for you and say, look, this person is great. We should acknowledge this person a little bit more or, you know, just just kind of advocating for me in a little bit louder way, um, whatever that means for your, you know, your organization. Um, for me, that's a sponsor versus a mentor where it's more, you know, intimate and they don't necessarily have to advocate for you, but they're, they're more there as a kind of to guide you through your career and to uh, kind of mentally support you and, and support you in your career as well. Um, so that's kind of how I see the two differences. Thank you for explaining it, because uh, after I asked you the question, I realized, wait, maybe I should have explained what it was. So, yeah, so basically a sponsor will advocate for you and look out for you and help, like, find opportunities for you to grow your career while the mentor is, like, more of an advisor, right? And they'll, they'll use their experience to help you navigate your own career, but they won't, like, provide you with opportunities. Yeah. But that also means, like, the mentor can be, like, the mentor doesn't really have to be in your organization or even your company. Like, it can be just any experienced person mm -hmm. whom you find, like, relatable. While the sponsor, you kind of need to build a relationship with, right? Like you can't just come up to any exec and be like, "Hey, can you help me, please?" <laughs> Wait, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that uh, difference because uh, also now that I'm thinking, I, I guess like a great manager is a great sponsor, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the the thing about like finding a sponsor, I was just thinking about it um, as you were as you were talking, Kim Adeline, I feel like for a mentor to kind of cross that bridge and, and for that person to become your sponsor, it really takes, you know, a little bit of time to build that rapport as well. Like nobody's going to just come out of, you know, right out of bat and say like, I'm going to sponsor you, right? Like they have to kind of work with you or, or know what you're like and really like feel like that you deserve their sponsorship, right? And so I feel like that's why it's like harder to find quote unquote, a sponsor from the get-go, but then as you develop that relationship with your your mentor and build the rapport, um, I think they eventually kind of become your sponsor too. That's a great insight. Yeah, those are great points. Yeah. But Sujin, tell me, what do you listen to when you have an, an unproductive discussion with your mentor or when that sponsor that you tried to get said thanks but no thanks? Like what kind of sad or emo song are you listening to in that case? Because I kind of kind of need one right now <laughs> sure so uh in terms of a sad song i would say i listen to 
Adele's Someone Like You. Um, I find that song very, very sad. Um, Emo Song is All American Rejects, Dirty Little Secret. I don't know if you guys remember that from way back when. I love that choice. (laughs) (laughs) And very important follow-up question. What flavor of ice cream is your favorite to go with your sad songs? Yes, 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 yes. So I love fruity ones. I don't know if you guys ever been to uh, the small shop in Cap Hill. It's called Frankie and Joe in Seattle. They have this flavor called Beet Strawberry Rosé. It's so good. It's so weird at first, but it is so addicting. It doesn't sound amazing, but I will take your word for it. It's the most refreshing strawberry ice cream you've probably ever had in your life. Okay, fair. I'll have to try it once I'm in Seattle again. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for being with us, Sujin. Uh, It was great chatting with you. And thanks again, Kim Adeline, for co-hosting with me. Thanks for having me, as always. Thanks for joining, Sujin. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I think that's a wrap up. And then we can do the outro, right? Yes. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs>